Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about Epic and Apple and Google and everything else that we've been talking about in the past, but in a different way. For those of you that didn't follow the news yesterday, Epic announced a new coalition, one that they are calling a Coalition for App Fairness, that they are participating in, that others are participating in. And as they describe it in their own press release, They say leading app developers form the Coalition for App Fairness to promote competition and protect innovation on digital platforms. Now, if you haven't been following Epic versus everyone here in virtual legality or just the story of Epic versus Apple and Google in general, that is a story in which Epic is suing Apple and Google as if they are violating the laws right now. That is Epic's claim that the Sherman Antitrust Act in the United States says, Apple, you can't do this. You can't charge 30%. You can't tie in-app payment processing to in-app distribution through your app store. You can't do these various things. And it is illegal as it stands right now. Now, in those particular cases, I have looked at their arguments and I find Epic's arguments to be fairly weak as the Sherman Antitrust Act has been interpreted as the law stands today. And people have come to my comments and they have said, Well, I agree with Epic. I think Apple is bad. I want Epic to win. If the law says this, why don't we change the laws? And I said, hey, you know, that's always a process that you can undertake. That's always something that you can do and you can advocate for, especially if you're Epic or someone else. And this coalition is that. It is the second prong of kind of the attack on the current app economy, as you will see it described, on Apple, on Google. It is a prong that they have coalesced around a number of companies to ask for regulators to come in and change how Apple and Android, although this is really focused on Apple, as we'll look at in the language, to change their policies and procedures, yes, to advantage this particular group, but also, as we have seen Epic state in the past, to advantage everyone that Apple in and of itself is operating poorly. And I think they make some good points here, and we'll talk about those as well. Unfortunately, like the Epic lawsuit itself, they are couched in between some really bad and disingenuous points that to me make it very easy to dismiss the whole initiative. I always tell folks, I tell associates, I tell colleagues that you don't want to just throw everything at the wall because the bad arguments will be used against you more than your good arguments will help you. And I think as we look through this, the Coalition for App Fairness has that problem. So let's take a look at their press release. Let's take a look at what they announced. Let's also name the companies that have started this thing. They say Basecamp, Blix, Blockchain, Deezer, Epic Games, the European Publishers Console, Match Group, News Media Europe, Prepare, Proton Mail, Skydemon, Spotify, and Tile have established this coalition, which they are calling CAF. CAF will advocate for enforcement and reforms, including legal and regulatory changes. That's what this is focused on to preserve consumer choice and a level playing field for app and game developers that rely on app stores and the most popular gatekeeper platforms. That reliance word is important. They have to try to establish that what Apple has created here is so important that regulators should come in and mandate certain access rules for folks that are not in the business of making phones, not in the business of creating the iOS or any other operating system and that they should be given that access effectively because the phone is that important. They also tie it together with various things going on around the world. 
as enforcers, regulators, and legislators around the world investigate Apple for its anti-competitive behavior, the Coalition for App Fairness will be the voice of app and game developers in the effort to protect consumer choice and create a level playing field for all. Every day, billions of people worldwide enjoy and use millions of apps from businesses, governments, and other organizations, making app stores and the platforms upon which they run a critical gateway. Those daily interactions are broadly defined as the app economy. Now, one thing that we should note here as part of this press release is it took me a little while to actually see this app economy reference. Everything else would seem to apply to applications in general. We call them apps on phones, but applications really on computers don't operate differently. So it was unclear whether or not this was referring to all applications. And of course, one of the things that we've said in this space is that Epic et al., have a problem insofar as they have their own contracts with their own stores and their own platforms. And that's totally fine for businesses, but they have to make the case that the Apple ecosystem on the phone they created is distinct from, say, the Epic Game Store. And they have struggled with that primarily because they haven't addressed it. And I continue to bring it up because it's important. But if you actually go look at the app economy description, this is a phrase that is used in various places. This is a document that was submitted by the App Association to the FTC in response to comments on regulations and things. And you can see that the app economy is, in general, what is on mobile devices, mobiles and tablets, right? And they talk about how big it is. They talk about how many people it supports, the value that it has, the average salary within it, $86,000, not bad how many jobs are created, a half million, all this stuff about the app economy and how it is great, right? But one of the really important things to note here is that they still have to establish that they deserve access to the Apple portion of that app economy. You'll see them try to elide this a little bit. They aim a lot of their attacks at Apple, but they ignore the existence of Android devices, which is interesting because the Apple device market share is something like 15 or 20%, that there are a lot more non-Apples out there than there are Apples. And more importantly, I know a lot of people like this argument when Epic brought it up at the start of their lawsuits, they can't really claim that the iPhone itself is what they call an essential facility. And why can't they claim it? They can't claim that because essential facilities haven't been recognized by the Supreme Court. They've been recognized in certain courts in certain instances, but as we talked about in the last video, on Epic, the Aspen skiing case that they want to rely upon isn't a great analog for what they are doing with the iPhone. And more importantly, you can see here in this case, Trinco, which is an important one along this line of Section 2 of Sherman Antitrust Act enforcement, that the court has never recognized an essential facilities doctrine. They say the conclusion in this case would be unchanged even if we considered essential facilities. We've never recognized such a doctrine. And they say that an essential facility claim should be denied where a state or federal agency has effective power to compel sharing. Now, that might be part and parcel to what Epic and their friends are trying to do here to try to establish that some federal agency of some kind should mandate sharing in such a fashion that they won't need to go through the courts. Because at the court level, the reason I keep bringing that up as part of the lawsuits is that that is a very difficult, non-recognized claim to make, but you can always change the law. You can always seek regulation. And in general, I prefer this approach. I don't necessarily agree with everything they're going to ask for. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But in terms of requesting a change in the law 
That, to me, is better distinct, more right in terms of law and order and the rule of law in the United States and elsewhere to seek that change rather than to just say that the law on the books that has never been enforced the way you want it to be should now impact your current business relationships. This, to me, is a better way to seek the changes that you wish to seek. Another quote here from Mr. Sweeney. The basic freedoms of developers are under attack. We are joining the Coalition for App Fairness to defend the fundamental rights of creators to build apps and to do business directly with their customers. We are an advocate for any company that's ready to reclaim its rights and challenge the anti-competitive behaviors that exist on app stores today. Now, that's pretty typical Tim Sweeney, as we have seen right now. It's actually a little bit pared back to his credit, but you can see the references to things like reclaiming of rights that don't necessarily right now, certainly in the current regulatory environment, mirror what is a contractual relationship between billion and trillion dollar companies that those sophisticated parties are generally thought to be able to negotiate their own contracts and decide whether it provides value to them or not, but not necessarily to be able to mandate that you get access to another party's hardware or to mandate what the terms of a contract should be by government power. The time to act is now. The gatekeeper platforms that operate these app stores must not abuse the control they enjoy and must adhere to oversight, regulator call. For years, app developers have been publicly and privately raising concerns about the onerous and arbitrary terms and conditions that govern the Apple App Store in particular, as well as last-minute iOS updates. Now, I think those are pretty fair complaints. Those are certainly fair complaints to make to Apple directly. Onerous and arbitrary terms and conditions are not something that a business partner should want to have to deal with. And to say, Apple, this isn't fair, and Apple says, go away, we're too big and we don't care, I think is the kind of thing that you can present publicly and say, this isn't something that we should like. They also complain about last minute iOS updates, which maybe, uh, but you got to make that case a little bit stronger because Apple does control its hardware, does have a vested business interest in making sure it is secure and as functional as possible. And if those iOS updates happen last minute, well, they happen last minute. And yes, developers are important and Apple should be trying to maintain those relationships. But at some level, Apple's first relationship is to itself, which you can see is a problem in places and in places where I agree. And as a result, frustrations over the excessive fees charged and over the rules that give Apple's own apps an unfair advantage and block innovative competitors have boiled over with formal complaints to regulators and lawsuits. It's pretty funny, right? It's kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. It's boiled over half because we did it and now we're forming a coalition and now we're using that as evidence for why the coalition should need to exist. I don't mind this. It's politics. It's it's public opinion, but it is funny to see it happen. And certainly the part in blue about Apple giving itself an unfair advantage, I think is worthwhile to dissect and to digest more because that is the place where I think you can really attack Apple the most effectively. Apple's IAP, that's your in-app payment processing, forces consumers to pay higher prices by inserting Apple between app developers and their users, leading to customer confusion and dissatisfaction that has far-reaching implications for our businesses. Now, again, a cynic here would say, okay, if that is in fact the case, don't go on the app store. Don't agree to the contract terms. What you want is to have your cake and eat it too. You want access to all of that, but you don't want to have to pay the price for Apple. And this kind of belies that, right? Okay, it's caused all this friction for us, all these problems, but we still want to be there because there's a whole lot of people over there. 
The CAF has been created to help address these concerns, protect the app economy, and ensure that the benefits of digital technologies are shared by everyone. That's another kind of interesting point, right? Again, one of the things that I've come at from the law side of things with respect to Epic versus Apple is Epic didn't build that. Apple's marketplace, the iOS app distribution ecosystem, doesn't exist if Apple doesn't invest hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in building that infrastructure up, in marketing it, in making sure that people want to come into the iPhone ecosystem and those developers that are a part of it have benefited from it. And so, yes, they should be shared by everyone, but more specifically what the CAF is asking for is that they should be shared by everyone for free or on terms that we deem to be quote-unquote fair. We are hopeful that the most popular platforms will voluntarily choose to adopt and follow similar principles. But we know from experience that self-regulation is not enough and that new laws and regulations are required in this case. Again, you will see this a lot. They're calling for laws and regulations. This was all designed to advocate to various places, definitely the European Union, but also the United States Congress to look at this and say, hey, we've got a couple of companies here, some big ones, Epic, Spotify, some big companies, blockchain, and we think you should put rules in place to mandate that Apple open up to us. Now, the thing with regulations is that there are always unintended consequences. There are always intended consequences that are just consequences of what you've put in place. And one thing that I would be concerned about if I were the Coalition for App Fairness is that Apple is very big, has its own lobbyists, and when you have regulations that are put into place, they tend to be captured. Look up regulatory capture if you're not an economist and you're not familiar with the term. They tend to be captured by the big markets in the industry already. So if you ask for, if you advocate regulation, it tends to be controlled and help written by the apples of the world. If Apple chooses to compete with developers on its platform, it should do so according to the same rules, said Kirsten Deru, VP and general counsel at Tile. I tend to agree with this notion. And to the extent Apple moves away from it, that it advantages its own app arcade over xCloud, that it does various things that look bad, you start to get into that question where if you're just Apple, you're asking to be regulated. Right? You start to look like a vertical monopoly. You start to look like you are advantaging your downstream sales against the competitors of those downstream sales. And that starts to look bad. Even if you could make the argument that it's legal, this is the kind of thing that arises from that. So I think this is really their best point, is that to the extent Apple treats itself differently from others, there should be some recompense. All of us are committed to protecting consumer choice, fostering competition, and creating a level playing field for all app and game developers globally. Join us if you're interested. And then we've got some quotes. Even worse, it has created a precedent that encourages other tech monopolies to engage in the same abuses. So you're trying to set the concept that Apple's 30% is what allows other 30% to exist, like Androids and I guess like Steam's and maybe the Microsoft Store. Hard to make this claim, but you're trying to establish that even though somebody can come in and say 30% is the same everywhere, that they have set this up and that Apple is the kingpin. When a platform imposes its own payment system on services like ours and actively prevents us from informing potential customers that they can transact with us directly, nobody wins except the platform. Now, that's interesting, right? Developers have one. We can go look at the statements. We can go look at the app economy. Developers have made a lot of money through sales on the iPhone. And we're going to talk about this kind of concept of whether Apple should 
be forced to allow developers to say, hey, you can get it cheaper over here. And why that doesn't really make sense for what Apple is selling, which is access and storefront and all of this kind of thing, marketing for the iPhone in general. But it does make sense if you can frame the argument as effectively, they are only doing payment processing. Today, app developers are dependent on Apple's power over app distribution to operate on the essential platforms it has created and controls as the ultimate gatekeeper. And this is the fundamental issue, as we talked about earlier in the press release here. They have to establish that Apple is something special, that iPhones are something special, that they are essential facilities that need to be granted access to all of these other parties. Because if they're not, if they're just another company, if they're just 15% of the smartphone market, then why should the government step in? If you want to sign a contract with them, great. If you don't, great as well. And if enough of you say that price is too high, Apple will have to lower it in order to get enough developers into their space to make people like their market. And to the extent they don't have to do that, I'm sorry, says the government, you're wrong. You didn't establish that Apple's price is too high because enough developers are willing to go for it that Apple can continue to grow and thrive in their ecosystem. That's the normal way of handling this. They have, however, advocated in the Coalition for App Fairness that Apple is just too big and valuable and essential that the government needs to step in. Creating unclear rules in the App Store review process, charging exorbitant fees, all these things that harm small developers. This can only happen because they operate in an environment where other app stores aren't allowed to compete with them and we're calling for regulation. Okay, so they say this can only happen because app stores aren't allowed to compete with them. We've talked about this in the past and said, well, the hardware exists and is popular because of the actual business model that Apple is using, but they say something different and you know, more power to them. They have also proposed 10 separate principles on which all of this should be based. They want this to be the baseline for what regulation looks like in both the EU and the US and elsewhere. They say the world's most popular online platforms and the app stores that govern access to them have become a critical gateway. While they can be beneficial when fairly operated, fairly is a tough word in the law, right? You and I and everybody else watching this video, listening to this as a podcast, will have a different understanding of what is fair. Is 30% fair? Is 20% fair? Is 28% fair? How about 28.5% fair? And in general, I would say that we should be reticent to having someone somewhere in some regulatory body decide that 28.5% is fine, but 29.3% is not. That those parties are not in the best position to adjudge the marketplace for what these services should cost. But that's what they're advocating. They want fairness. And fairness, of course, according to them. Now, you'll see here a couple of these. I've gone over them. I don't want to go over every word of them. I will, of course, link all this in the description to the video. I will say just in terms of your notation, what you see in green, I think, are their best positions, the ones that are strongest, and the ones most likely to succeed across most regulatory spectrums. So we start with number one. This is the biggie. This is the hard one. This is one that isn't repeated a lot in the various places in which the press covered this kind of thing, isn't repeated in the epic version of this press release. No developer should be required to use an app store or to use ancillary services, including payment systems, your IAP, or to accept other supplementary obligations in order to have access to the app store. So there's a lot going on there. But first they say, all right, we should be able to put our stuff up there without an app store. 
We shouldn't have to use IAP. That's the epic lawsuit. And then it goes a little too broadly, right? Or to accept other supplementary obligations in order to have access to the App Store. I should be able to be on the App Store without paying you a fee at all? Again, one of the things that I have a problem with here is that every single time they advocate for something that you can maybe wrap your head around and say, okay, that's interesting, they go one step too far. So you say, okay, I should be able to run my own store. Okay. I should be able to get into the store and not use IAP. Okay. I think that's a problem, but maybe we can live with it. Or I should be able to get into the store and not have any other obligations to you. All right. Well, you're using the word supplementary. Maybe you mean outside of that fee, but you aren't making it clear and you're making it very easy for folks that aren't on your side to dismiss you. So do better, Coalition for App Fairness. I think it's great that companies are looking at the app terms and saying, this is not what we want. We should put together a group that has power to fight against Apple's terms that we don't like, and we should advocate for those terms to be changed. I'm even okay asking for regulation, even though I don't think it's necessarily the best way to handle these problems, but do better in your arguments because you're not being clear. Number two, no developer should be blocked from the platform or discriminated against based on a developer's business model or whether it competes in any way with the app store owner. Okay, again, the competition part I think is okay. Based on a developer's business model, I'm sure we could imagine ways in which the business model should be something that Apple looks at. For instance, let's talk about loot boxes, right? Loot boxes are a big problem. They're certainly a big problem in mobile. Various regulatory agencies are already requiring Apple to put certain things in terms of percentages down. And if a developer wants to do something that isn't lawful in whatever jurisdiction they might sell their app, Shouldn't Apple have some say in looking at that and saying, no, 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 we have to mandate that you have a percentage or you shouldn't use loot boxes this way or X, Y, or Z. Apple is going to be associated with the programs that are running on its phone. And so should it be a part of those conversations? I think it should. Now, the competition factor, I think, is better. They say every developer should have timely access to the same interoperability interfaces and technical information as the App Store owner makes available to its own developers. I think that's a winner. To some extent, I think that's a good argument to be made that says, okay, Apple, if we're going to allow you to exist with what amounts to a kind of downstream vertical monopoly, if we treat these as separate markets, which I think is a tough argument, but if we do, you're selling games, you're selling apps, you're selling phones above them, then if you're selling games and apps and you're developing them, then you have to share what you know with the other developers that are part of your program not the folks that randomly breach things, not the folks that enter into marketing campaigns against you and file federal lawsuits against you necessarily, but the average developer should be able to get access to what you're giving your own developers. Every developer should always have access to app stores as long as its app meets fair, objective, and non-discriminatory standards for security, privacy, quality content, and digital safety. Now that sounds like asking for regulators to actually set those terms, right? Apple would tell you right now, that its restrictions on what appears in its store are objective, non-discriminatory, fair. I think reasonable minds can certainly argue that they're not. I think you see stories in the press all the time of developers saying, oh, it's arbitrary, it's capricious, it's very difficult. The reviewers come back and they say something and we don't know what they meant, and here we go. So I think that you can get into a place where Apple should be doing better. Apple should try to allay these fears, try to be as transparent as possible, and to the extent that they are failing on that, I think complaints are justified. Does that mean that I think that the FTC should step in and mandate what this looks like? No, I'm, I'm not as convinced of that because I think Epic's security requirements could be very different from Apple's. 
You go and you look at how Epic operates the Epic Game Store, what they do with the data that they collect, how many problems they've had in the past year or so just with the operation of that platform. And I think Apple can look at that and say, wait, you know, we are more stringent. And to be honest with you, government, we're allowed to be more stringent and you have to meet our standards in order to be on our platform. A developer's data should not be used to compete with the developer. We'll come back to this point. Let's just say that it's ironic coming from Epic. Every developer should always have the right to communicate directly with its users through its app for legitimate business purposes. Now, you see this in green. I think this is roughly right, that you shouldn't have to clear communications with Apple or anything like that. However, this is focused on a different problem, and we'll see it come up in various places on their website. And it's a problem that I think is probably more important and less green, less likely to be successful. And that is, can they say... This price is this price because of 30% from Apple and you can get it cheaper directly from us at this website. That's what they want to be able to do. And I think ultimately that's a loser to the extent that the App Store and the iOS ecosystem is presenting a point of sales. They continue to want to say that they're not a store, that they are just providing payment processing and that they don't deserve any of these protections. But if we think of them more as a store, and different regulators can disagree on this, but I think they are more of a store. They're more of a point of contact where you go to buy things. Then they, like every other store, won't let you put a sticker on the box that says you can buy it cheaper directly from the manufacturer. No app store owner or its platform should engage in self-preferencing its own apps or services. I agree with this one entirely. This one should be in green. Let's change it up right now, right? We'll make it green. There we go. The biggest problem Apple has, the reason why there's so much traction here is because there are good cases to be made that Apple is advantaging its gaming content over xCloud and various streaming alternatives. It's advantaging its book content over Kindle and various alternatives to the book sales through. It's advantaging itself in these various ways and it opens itself up to these kinds of complaints. This is the kind of thing where I think Apple should be either better transparent or get ready for some regulation on these kinds of questions. No developer should be required to pay unfair, unreasonable, or discriminatory fees, nor be required to sell within its app anything it doesn't wish to sell. Yes, I don't think they should be required to sell things they don't wish to sell just to gain access to the app store. Of course, unfair, unreasonable, discriminatory is probably okay, but I don't know that anybody's actually arguing that the fees are discriminatory. The question is what is unfair or unreasonable? And I think... Video game companies, application companies, software companies in general should really take a step back and think about whether or not they want the government to start setting rates across software, across the app economy, sure, but when they get a taste for it, who knows where that ends. I think that actually allowing someone to say this is unfair, this is unreasonable, and asking the government to regulate it is asking for punishment. But again, reasonable minds can differ. No app store owner should prohibit third parties from offering competing app stores. That's basically the same as one, right? You're not required to use the app store. That's a competing app store. On the app store owner's platform or discourage developers or consumers from using them. Now, that's an interesting thing, right? Epic in its lawsuit has said, hey, if the app store is more secure than our store, then they can compete with us. If they offer better rates than us, then they can compete with us. We should have an open environment for competition among these app stores. But now Nine comes in and says, okay, We should be allowed to run our app store, but you can't discourage people from using it. It's like, what? Of course we can. If this is going to be an open competitive environment, then the equivalent of Apple's Tim Sweeney can go out there and call Steam a monopoly and stealing money from developers and doing all these things that Epic Game Store has done against Steam already. 
And if you're going to come into this space, then expect Apple to say they're unsecure. You can't trust their direct payment option. They're half owned by China. All these various other things. You can't get the red part. You just can't. So if you're going to ask the regulators to allow app stores, you can't prohibit the app store owner from entering into open competition. And again, you reach too far. All app stores will be transparent about their rules and policies and opportunities for promotion and marketing. Sure. Apply these consistently and objectively. Sure. Provide notice of changes and make available a quick, simple, and fair process to resolve disputes. Got no problem with any of that. Problem is, I think Apple would say that that's already happening. But to the extent that isn't happening, I think Apple should take steps to correct that. Now we get into further kind of avenues and we get a little bit further from, uh, let's call it truthiness here in this space. So first they say the app store is ruled by anti-competitive policies. They bring up three issues. It's anti-competition. It's the 30% rate, which we'll talk about. And it is the fact that consumers don't have choice. Uh, And I think this is probably the strongest argument. So this is why I've started out with it. Apple uses its control of the iOS operating system to favor itself by controlling the products and features that are available to consumers and maybe steals ideas. Now they say case study tile. Apple has manipulated its rules and policies to disadvantage Tile, which is a member of the Coalition for App Fairness, a popular Bluetooth finding hardware and app developer in favor of its competing Find My App. In a scenario that harkens back to the browser wars of the 90s, if you've been in the comments to my videos at all, you know folks want to talk about Microsoft and Internet Explorer. I personally think it's a pretty bad fit for a company that doesn't sell its operating system, but this is the fit that Epic wants to make here. Apple pre-installs Find My by default on all iOS devices and renders it impossible to delete. In addition, as reported by the Washington Post, Apple made changes to its Find My app to compete more directly with Tile. It's, It's normal. In general, Sherman and the rest like competition. At the exact same time, Apple made changes to iOS that made it harder for consumers to access the location data needed for Tile to work while leaving Find My's streamlined data access intact. Starts to look bad, right? Apple starts to look bad when it advantages its own apps against third-party apps. And this is the kind of thing that regulators will care about. This is Epic and the Coalition's best argument. Apple also simultaneously began serving disarmingly frequent prompts to Tile customers to disable Tile location data access, leaving the consumer with no clear explanation of how to accurately assess and control their location data settings. So Apple is saying, okay, our stuff is better and we're going to harm Tile stuff. Now, Apple could come in and say, here are the 85 legitimate business reasons for this. This is obviously one-sided, but certainly the side presented looks bad for Apple. In its usual refrain against complaints of this nature, Apple responded that its anti-competitive behavior, probably didn't use that terminology, but hey, is justified by a concern for consumer privacy. However, it's widely known that Apple pays close attention to privacy when it serves its competitive interest to do so, and not so much when it doesn't. It's a weird sentence, right? We expect everybody to pay more attention when it serves its competitive interest to do so. That's why the United States laws like competition. Maybe this was intended to be anti-competitive right here. Unclear, but it's not unusual to say Apple cares more about privacy when it helps Apple sell iPhones or apps. That's, That's normal. That's what we assume in terms of incentives. Then you see the call for regulation. Apple shouldn't have this much power. No one gave them the power and regulators need to ensure the anti-competitive behavior is kept in check. No one gave them the power is interesting especially since Epic and the coalition here claims that they have this power basically because they sold a lot of iPhones. And selling a lot of phones is in general, as we've talked about in the past, okay, the United States doesn't care about that. Case study Kindle. If a Kindle customer wants to purchase an ebook from the Kindle iPhone app, they're met with a confusing situation. Consumers can search for books, even read samples, but there's no option to purchase. 
Apple prevents Amazon from both selling books through the Kindle app available on iOS and doesn't allow Amazon to inform consumers on how to make the purchase. Consumers are well aware these ebook shenanigans have existed for years and have accepted the clunky process to get ebooks on an iPhone. Again, this is one of those places where I think you've got a decent kind of argument, but you go too far, right? Apple prevents Amazon from both selling books through the Kindle app and doesn't allow Amazon to inform consumers on how to make the purchase is half right, right? I don't think Apple prevents Amazon from selling books through the Kindle app. They would just take their 30% cut of selling those things through the Kindle app. And so what you've got is a situation where Amazon rightly says, well, I don't think we need to pay Apple 30%. So we'll only sell it direct through our Kindle stuff. But we also can't tell people that that's where you can buy it because the guidelines say you can't buy it. You can't tell folks to go buy it direct from the manufacturer. And so that's true-ish, but Amazon could have elected to pay the 30%. They elected not to. And as they say here, consumers aren't really harmed. Consumers are well aware, have accepted the clunky process. And so this is one of those things that reads against you, Coalition for App Fairness, right? Okay, so it's not perfect, but we can all understand that Apple has certain rights in the ecosystem that it has created. I think even Tim Sweeney would say that. And so they can say, all right, you can't advertise for your own lower rates, but as long as you don't sell it here, you can sell it for those lower rates through your own website. And consumers became knowledgeable about this specific instance. Apple's tight grip on the app stores extends beyond self-favoritism. It allows Apple to outright steal developers' ideas and make them its own. We have always been shameless about stealing great ideas. They use a Steve Jobs quote here, right? Well, one of the things that if you're in virtual legality, you know from copyright law is that ideas aren't copyrightable. And you know who else knows that ideas aren't copyrightable? Yeah, that's, that's Epic Games. Oh, wait, what do we have here? It's a lawsuit. PUBG sues Epic Games for copyright infringement. Because why? Because Epic Games was providing the Unreal Engine to PUBG, the originators, really, of the Battle Royale genre, and at the same time developing Fortnite. With some of those ideas, I think anybody that looks at PUBG and looks at Fortnite knows that it was with some of those ideas, and this lawsuit was eventually dropped. Why? Because ideas can't be copyrighted. Epic knows this. Apple definitely steals some ideas that it thinks are useful. It always has. In all honesty, variations on their own Mac line are stealing from various ideas across the web, across software and hardware development. And everybody in tech does that because those ideas aren't copyrightable. But that's not good enough for Epic. Epic says, hey, we need regulators to ensure this type of anti-competitive behavior is kept in check. We need to ensure that Apple's rules do not distort competition in markets where Apple is competing with other app developers, for example, with its music streaming service, Apple Music, or with Apple Books from the EU competition sheet. And as we've said in Epic versus Everyone, when you look at this, the EU is probably their best chance of success. They take a firmer hand on these kinds of questions, and Apple can then react to them as they see fit. The United States and the antitrust laws here in America don't take that kind of very regulatory hand. And so I would expect something like this to have more success in the EU. Now, the second argument dies where it begins. 30% app tax on creators and consumers. For most purchases made within its app store, Apple takes 30% of the purchase price. No other transaction fee in any industry comes close. Now, they're putting a lot of emphasis on transaction fee, as we will see but it's important to note how wrong this is and how easy it is to dismiss, 
right? You say they take 30% of the purchase price, no other transaction fee in any industry comes close. And then you go and you look anywhere. Here's IGN, Steam's 30% cut is the industry standard. You look everywhere else, Steam 30%, sure, Epic charges 12%, but it's a little bit self-help that their 12% exists, certainly in this context. Humble's 25, developer's choice over here, and then other percentages for Humble people remind me in the comments. 30% GOG, 30% Microsoft, 30% PlayStation, 30% Xbox, 30% eShop, 30% Google Play, Apple App, 30% physical. And so you come into this argument, and if you are already so inclined, if you're a regulator that doesn't want to get involved, you look at this and you say, that's clearly a lie. That's clearly a lie, and I can ignore a lot of what you otherwise say that might be useful and something that I should take into account. This app tax cuts deeply into consumer purchasing power and stifles developer revenue. This is especially unfair when this tax is imposed on apps competing directly with similar apps sold by Apple. Just as every part of the web economy is open to competition, every part of the app economy needs to be open to competition as well. And you see the comparison that they make. Apple charges 30% to every single purchase and 5% is the upper limit for fees charged by other payment providers for purchases. Now, again, they're comparing it and the Apple functionality to Stripe and PayPal and the percentage that you earn for those kind of charges. And unfortunately, that continues to be disingenuous. And you can look anywhere that you want to see that disingenuousness. Let's take a look at Kickstarter, right? I just pulled this up. Kickstarter makes 3% and plus 20% per pledge, uh, 20 cents per pledge on payment processing fees. That's what Epic wants to compare to the 30%. But Kickstarter also charges 5%. What, what is that 5% for? It's for something. It's for access to Kickstarter. It's for the fact that Kickstarter has an audience that people regularly check to see their projects. That's why you pay 5% to Kickstarter. And yes, Apple charges 30% all in for payment processing and access to the Apple App Store. So that's a difference between 8% or so and 30%. And you have to ask yourself whether that's worth it to you. But to actually suggest that this doesn't exist, that 5% doesn't exist, that Patreon, when you look on it, at it, that these 5%, 8%, or 12%, that they aren't doing anything for that is disingenuous. In fact, Epic Games goes in and has a 12% cut. What is that 12% for, right? It's for the store. 12% share covers the operating cost of the store and makes us a profit. Now they're trying to say 12% makes us a profit and says Steam's 30% is overcharge and that's all well and good. Certainly you can compete with them in the open web environment as they claim and you could compete with them on smartphones, Epic, if you wanted to make your own hardware. But the point is when you look at this, this is de disingenuous even from Epic. You don't compare the 12% to the 3% for payment processing. And Tim Sweeney knows that Apple does things. Why? Because he complains about it all the time. Yesterday, Tim Sweeney said, let's math this. 500 reviewers, 40 hours a week, 100,000 apps, 12 minutes of review time per app. Now he's complaining, right? He says, so a developer spends thousands of hours creating an app and hundreds of hours of updating it. Apple spends 12 minutes reviewing this update and takes 30%, but he keeps adding services that Apple is doing, right? Apple takes its 30%. That's inclusive of the payment processing charge. So let's say it's the upper bounds of 5%. It isn't, but let's assume. Okay, so now we're down to 25%. They're definitely doing this review process. Patreon isn't doing that. So they're taking 12% already. Apple is bigger than all of those places and has a lot more money in the app economy, as folks have said. Tim, 
You just went out and said Apple is doing something for that money and you disagree with the price. But the price incorporates a lot of these services. So once again, you've got a situation where everything about this argument is disingenuous. This 30% versus this 5% versus this 3% is disingenuous on its face because everybody, including Tim Sweeney, admits that Apple is doing something. They just disagree with the price that Apple is charging and they continue to compare it to credit card networks that don't do anything with respect to the content that is being sold through their payment processing services. Finally, we get to their argument that the App Store limits consumer freedom. They say, here's an example of how the problem manifests itself. Epic, produ Epic produces one of the most popular video games of all time, Fortnite. If a Fortnite player were to buy an upgrade in the App Store, that individual might be charged $9.99. However, that same upgrade costs only $7.99 when purchased directly through Epic. Now, that's ironic in and of itself, right? If you're following the story, that happened as of early August of this year. Before that point in time, Epic was more than happy to charge the same rate and just take the extra money, regardless of the cut. There's also the open question of when they lowered the cut on the Xbox and the PlayStation, the 30% for those two stores likely didn't go away, although I would certainly be interested in hearing more on that front which means that Epic is taking less money for those sales through those ecosystems, through no distinction between those ecosystems and the iPhone ecosystem, really to make a point to try to subsidize this argument to break into the App Store, to break into Google Play by saying that, oh, Microsoft and PlayStation are also $7.99. They call this the app tax and they have throughout their lawsuits. Apple specifically tells developers that they are not allowed to inform their customers about less expensive options. Now they give you a little hypothetical. They say, think about this a little differently. A box of Cheerios costs about $3 at Kroger, but sometimes Cheerios, the manufacturer, offers a coupon which lowers the price to $2.50 at any store that offers Cheerios. What Apple is doing is basically like Kroger, telling Cheerios that they're not allowed to offer coupons, and if they do, Cheerios is at risk of being kicked out of the cereal aisle. Now this is an interesting hypothetical in and of itself because coupons are weird right? Manufacturers offer coupons. They get reimbursement from retailers that sell at the discount from the coupons. There's a whole ecosystem there that doesn't exist in this particular concept, but that's fine. It's also a poor hypothetical because the manufacturer is always allowed to sell their Cheerios for $2.50. What they aren't allowed to do is put on their box that is going to be sold on the Kroger shelves. Hey, whatever this price is, you can get it for less by buying direct from Cheerios.com. The Kroger's of the world would take those off the shelves in two seconds. The best buys of the world, if you did it with anything that is still being sold in disc form, if you put on the box, hey, you looking at this box, you can buy this for less at Sony.com. That's not going to be sold in Best Buy anymore. That Best Buy has the right to say, we're not selling that product just as sure as the App Store and Apple has the right to say, okay, you're going to tell people that they can make more money buying it from you directly, then go right ahead. We've got Safari over here but you can't use the app store to say, hey, let's go around the corner here. And so when you look at these hypotheticals, again, they're, they're not good. You can make this argument better. You can talk about consumer freedom better than spending three paragraphs arriving at a point that is easily refuted and doesn't really match up with the point that you're trying to make. So I look at this and I say, look, this reminds me of the Epic lawsuits. I think Epic is driving this coalition. This reminds me of Tim Sweeney's tweets. And I really do think they could make this message better. 
but they aren't. And this is what they're going out there with. And again, when you talk about the control that Apple has, they say all of these things about consumer freedom. They say, hey, you have to comply with these rules. They completely skip the existence of Android and Samsung and everyone else and further the existence of up and comers competing forces in hardware that can arise to fight against things that are problematic on these terms. That if enough developers thought this price was too high, they wouldn't be a part of that ecosystem. And then Apple would have to respond to those market forces because it doesn't have monopoly power in the smartphone market. But they continue to ignore that fact. And they also ignore end arounds, right? It was only yesterday that Amazon announced its Luna streaming service, right? And I've pulled up a Verge article that says Amazon Luna, which will stream games to your iPhone, dodges Apple's cloud gaming rules. When will NVIDIA and Google, will the web win? And this was put up a couple of hours ago. I actually tweeted about this to various folks that thought this wouldn't necessarily work. And it's that Amazon Luna on iOS is not a traditional app. It'll never appear in the app store. So they don't have to comply with those app store guidelines. It's a progressive web app, which is mostly a fancy name for a website that you can launch and run separately from the rest of your web browser. And Apple itself said, hey, that's fine. Now, some other folks say this will change if these things become too successful, and maybe that's right. But as of right now, in bold, highlighted, of course, there is always the open internet and web browser apps to reach all users outside of the App Store. You can go that direction. And I think very strongly and very likely that Apple knew Amazon was going to go this direction with Luna, and they basically supported it here. Now, could they change in the future? Of course. But as of right now, there are ways to access that ecosystem of iOS users through the web. Epic doesn't like it because they describe it as clunky. They don't like it on Android because they think sideloading is a pejorative term and too hard for people. But if you can get that access at all, there's really no right to the smoothest, most clean access to another's piece of hardware. That Apple doesn't have an obligation to help competitors it should basically treat them fairly when you're otherwise having an issue with looking like a vertical monopoly. And I would recommend that they do so. Again, this is not legal advice, Apple. If anybody at Apple is watching this, but they should look at those questions. And at the end of the day, if you can get access, if you're Epic, if you're talking about the coalition for app fairness, I think most of your problems can be solved using web browsers, can be solved by actually exerting your market power such as it exists. And if you don't win that fight, then maybe enough developers aren't on your side and Apple can continue apace. Which leads me to the end of this video. Look, I know folks have come into my comments and said, I'm a shill for Apple. I'm just in favor of Apple. It's not the case. I think a lot of Apple terms could be changed in a way that was beneficial to everybody. But Apple created its hardware. Apple exists in its ecosystem. And those changes are going to come slowly if and when enough consumers are concerned about them and enough developers are concerned about them as well. But I know people have come in to the Epic conversation and said Epic is fighting the good fight. They believe in that righteousness of the Tim Sweeney tweets of these arguments and believe that these walls should be broken down. To them, I say, as I've said in the past, look, reasonable minds can differ. That's right. We've got the shirt now. We've put this up on our store. I know a lot of folks were asking for this particular one. At the end of the day, what this means is that if you bring in a reasonable disagreement, that is the spice of life. We love that here in virtual legality. We are totally okay with people who support Epic on this. We think that they have a loser of a legal case. We think that the regulatory ask here is potentially problematic, but better than seeking a federal lawsuit for the changes that they want to see. But ultimately, reasonable minds can in fact differ. 
So if you're interested in that, if you love that, check out the store. We've got other designs of Reasonable Minds Can Differ and a whole lot more in that store now. Not used to hawking merch on this channel, but enough of you asked for it. I'm very happy to have put this together and gotten it out there. So please do check it out. Tell your friends. Uh, I really like this one. I'm going to get a couple of these myself. And this has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, please like, share, subscribe. Tell folks about it. I think I got a 50-50 shot of Tim watching this. He's watched my previous videos uh, in the series. So hi, Tim, if you're checking it out. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.